Go wild with Nation Gear's end of regular season merch madness sale. Nation Gear is offering our favorite fans 20% off all regular season merch. And we're going to give you free shipping on any orders over $200. Stock up your closet for the playoffs. Rep your team and grab that merch you've been eyeing up all season long. Don't wait. This sale only lasts from April 1st until April 7th. Shop the sale at nationgear.ca. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is the Puck Poolies Podcast with Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new edition of the Puck Poolies podcast. It's Matt Larkin, as always. It's Stephen Ellis, as always. And Stephen, before we talk hockey, I want to check in on you. I know you had a big race last night, and I hear you got dinged up. Are you okay? I am. So I, I go car race uh, near Toronto, uh, Goodwood Cartways, uh, and I had a really. It was my first race of the year, first time in a cart since October. Uh, I missed the first race, so I had to do a makeup one. So a bunch of these guys have already been on the track three, four times this year. I had not, so I had a terrible qualifying position, a seventh. But I got up to third, but second place had a penalty, so it was like basically second place at that point. And uh, with two laps to go, uh, I get pushed out of the way, and then. Uh, I don't want to say spun. I got wrecked uh, and it was not a very uh, pleasant sight. So uh, I had we, we had a meeting afterwards to talk about it, to see if there were any penalties. And I, I was the only one with a GoPro and my GoPro uh, had died uh, in the process of taking off my helmet. So that was really cool. Uh, so I couldn't prove kind of what happened until afterwards when I went home and saw, oh, yeah, there should have been penalties. Oh, well, it is what it is. Uh, that's that's racing, I guess. That's sports in general. Yeah, that's tough. We're, we're both trying out some extracurriculars. I've come out of retirement and playing men's league softball, but like I joined this team that they're just really good. And I'm like, wait, do you guys actually need me? Like they're better than I wanted them to be because I almost feel guilty if I'm if I'm rusty. So it's and I, now I'm banged up. I'm already hurt. I've only played six games, hitting well, a little bit rusty on D, and now I've dinged up my knee and I can't walk. So I'm gonna have to miss some time. Soon as I'm back, I'm already on the on the DL, so that's too bad. But hey, we can at least pass the time talking some hockey. And this week, Stephen, uh, what do we have? I know we have a special segment, so I'll, I'll let you tee it up, my friend. All right, so uh, obviously we're in getting into the Stanley Cup final, and it feels like it's kind of flown by. There's been some great moments in the playoffs, some not so great moments in the playoffs. Uh, I think you know, for the most part, even though there was a sweep, I would say the third round felt a little more interesting than the second round. I don't know about you. Do you agree there? 
Yeah, to me, I don't know what it is. I always find the second round of the playoffs to be the least interesting. This year, we only had really what was it one close series? It was the, the even and and it, yeah, it was just Dallas, Seattle. I think right. Every other series felt like it was never well really tr- close. Tr- Toronto and Florida was a bunch of one goal games, but it was a five game series. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that's weird. So you look at it and, you know, Dallas put up a fight here, but uh, they just kind of fell completely flat in that final game. So there was, you know, those some duds, you know, the Zunowitz didn't have any duds in it. The World Hockey Championship, just want to throw that out. But, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, also all the the picks we gave didn't end up working well because Switzerland last week was looking perfect and then they completely blew it to Germany. Uh, But yeah, so today we're going to talk about players that earned fantasy value boosts because of the 2023 playoffs. And we'll go back kind of to the usual format of shallow, medium, and deep. And I guess we could start with the shallow, which includes a very good goalie that's kind of dominating right now, an Oakville, Ontario native. That's the only reason this guy's known. And uh, a guy going to the Stanley Cup final for the first time. So uh, let's see your picks. Yes, and I know I'm I'm kind of contradicting uh, my tip from last week when I was talking about being careful about recency bias, but that doesn't mean that there are certain situations in which playoff performance can tell you something about the fantasy season. So that's why I wanted to do this segment and let you know which types of players and situations actually are relevant for next year. So shallow leagues will start, of course, with Sergei Bobrovsky. And as I hinted at last week, he's been so dominant in the playoffs that it actually is relevant for fantasy next season because you have to look at where was he at the at the start of the playoffs, right? He wasn't even starting. It was Alex Lyon. The third stringer was in, and that did not bode well for Bobrovsky's fantasy value going into next season. If you ask someone April April 17th, what's Bobrovsky going to be worth in fantasy next season? You'd say, I don't know. He's even a starter anymore. You still have Spencer Knight possibly coming back. But now Bobrovsky has been so good that he's earned himself, no matter what happens in the Stanley Cup final, barring an injury that carries into next season, he's the number one going to next year. And that means his fantasy value has taken a massive leap going forward. So that's one. Number two, Evan Bouchard, defenseman, the Edmonton Oilers. Down the stretch, after Tyson Berry got traded to Nashville, Bouchard was already hot in fantasy leagues. He was a point-per-game player. He took it to another level in the playoffs, 17 points in 12 games. And out of every defenseman this century who's played at least 10 games in a postseason, that's the second highest points per game of anyone. Kale McCarr last year in his Conn Smythe trophy-winning season being number one. That's how good Bouchard was in just two rounds. And I think it's pretty clear he's established as the power play quarterback now. PP1 on the best power play literally of all time, Edmonton this season. So the ceiling for Bouchard next year is massive. Like, what is it, 80 points, 85 points? I think the range of outcomes has really grown in terms of what the potential is now. So that's a major change in fantasy value for Evan Bouchard. One more for shallow leagues. This is a weird one because Jack Eichel, it's not like his value per se is changing. We know what he is. He's give or take a point per game player. But I think what we've seen from him in these playoffs is just really showing that he's healthy. And with every month and year that he gets further removed from his neck surgery, his disc replacement, I think you can trust him a little more. He's still in his prime. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the best version of Jack Eichel next year. So those are my shallow league risers. You look at Eichel. It was funny seeing a tweet uh, from Sportsnet yesterday saying that Eichel has made the Stanley Cup final every time he's made the playoffs. <laughs> that that that's kind of funny. So does that mean you know Jeff Skinner is going to help Buffalo make the Cup final next year? Put some money down on it, which would be kind of ironic because that's where Eichel started. Uh, all right, the medium league. There's a few more options here, and this one's uh, I think an interesting one, especially when it comes near the end of this. But there is a goalie here that you know is surprising to see. But uh, let's hear your medium 
uh, pickups here. Yeah, I have a few guys on this list that are UFAs, and that's why uh, I think there's an actionable item for fantasy because it's players who have changed their value and then might find themselves in better situations on their next contract. So one being Ivan Barbashev of the Vegas Golden Knights. He's been very effective as a first-line player for Vegas in these playoffs, usually playing with Eichel and Jonathan Marchessault. Uh, and to me, he's shown that he can be a frontline player still. He's a year removed from a 26-goal season, 60-point season with St. Louis. And I think now, based on how effective he's been in the scoring line role, whether it's Vegas re-signing him and keeping him on that line or another team, I think it's clear that Ivan Barbashev will get another chance in the top six role. I don't think that was necessarily the case even three months ago. So he's upped his value a lot, and I think he's maintained the idea now that he's going to be a relevant player in fantasy. So that's one. Another one being Tyler Bertuzzi of the Boston Bruins. He was dominant 10 points in seven playoff games, and he was someone who was sort of an afterthought brought in at the trade deadline, and it was looking like he was going to maybe be a third-line type of player and his effectiveness had been limited the last couple seasons by injuries. But then he gets a chance. Taylor Hall's out. He gets put onto a scoring line. He immediately is very effective for Boston. And then the playoffs, he goes gangbusters. So again, similar to Barbashev, we're seeing a situation with Bertuzzi where he's earned himself a bigger role wherever he goes. So that could be second line job on a really good, on maybe a middling team. So his range of outcomes now is he a player next year, which is important for fantasy as well. One more, or two more actually, uh, this one is interesting in Seattle because if you look at the way the season played out, Martin Jones was the guy in Seattle's net, but in the playoffs, of course, Philip Grubauer has taken over. It was his net. Martin Jones is a UFA. Grubauer signed for four more seasons, and suddenly Seattle is a good team. It's not necessarily a bad fantasy environment anymore, and Grubauer has sort of taken over and locked in that job as the starter, or at least the 1A going into next season, so year over year. Big jump in fantasy value there, depending on what Seattle does in terms of bringing in another goalie. And the last one, of course, Aiden Hill, who's even creeping up the Con Smythe rankings. If you look on Daily Faceoff right now, I have my latest edition. Aiden Hill jumps all the way to third on the list. He's been unbelievable in the playoffs, 937 save percentage, and he's absolutely earned himself a long look in a significant role next season, whether it's with Vegas or a team that has less competition. Aiden Hill is going to be fantasy relevant next season. You know, the thing about Aiden Hill, it wasn't like he kind of just showed up now. And obviously, he wasn't super high on the depth chart at points this year, you know, in injuries to have just ravaged Vegas's uh, goaltending situation, which is kind of funny because the last time that happened, they also made the Stanley Cup final. Uh, but when it comes to for Aiden Hill, like this is a guy that, you know, when he got acquired, it's like maybe he's the starting goalie. At this time, we weren't sure, too sure about Logan Thompson and things like that. But with Hill, you know, Arizona Coyotes fans were saying for a while, like, this guy is a future number one goalie. This guy's got a lot of value. He's going to be a good goalie. And, you know, with the state of the Coyotes, it was tough for him to really get consistent work. And Darcy Kemper came in, things like that. And then he goes to San Jose and just it didn't seem to matter what he did because the San Jose Sharks last year wasn't great. So Vegas was his first real chance of playing a competitive team. And he's been able to save this group where, you know, the big question of like, if Logan Thompson came back, would he be the guy that they'd go to? And it's like, no, you can't. Aiden Hill's just playing that good right now. So it's been really cool to see Hill kind of just answered the way he's been. And, 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 you know, I guess the one thing about the con Smythe thing is like super deserving, but doesn't matter that he's not played the whole playoffs. Yeah, that's what holds him back for sure. On a per game basis, he's actually been better than Bobrovsky in terms of goals saved above above average per 60 minutes, but the sample size puts him lower in in those rankings. What's going to be interesting for Hill next year is, do you want to resign in Vegas? Because what about Robin Lehner? Is he coming back? Is his career in jeopardy? 
or is he going to be back in the net? And of course, you have Logan Thompson. So it's a very messy situation there. And if I'm Aiden Hill, I think I probably want to explore my options and see if there's a situation where I can be the unquestioned starter on a team. It's kind of crazy when you think like, you know, goaltending in the playoffs matters a lot, but then you'll get like the odd year of like Michael Leighton and Antony Yemi being the goalies. But, you know, looking before this year or before the playoffs, like were either of these two goalies even close to like the top 25, top 30 best goalies in the league. And they've been two of the best players, period, in the playoffs. It's just crazy how that can happen. But, you know, it's kind of the beauty of that position. Again, you don't want to bet all your money on, on, on like the thing is, even if Bobrovsky wins the Stanley Cup, you know, there'll still be people saying, is he still worth the money? It's like, well, if you win the Stanley Cup, yes, 100%. It doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. You paid the money to get that cup. You wanted that. But like, what if he just like completely irrelevant the rest of his career? We just don't well, know. So. He might be. He could easily be terrible. Like he's probably going to be someone who will be overdrafted and I'll probably be putting him on a bust list like yeah. next September. I'm sure I will be. <laughs> I, I don't want this to be like the Carey Price where this is his like last bit of good hockey and then he's not around again. So I'm, you know, for Bobrovsky, I'm loving watching this. Aiden Hill, a great answer. I think this is going to be a great goaltending battle. That's that's the thing I'll be watching. Uh, and I guess we'll wrap up this segment by talking about some deep league guys, including one guy who was a pretty dang good goal scorer for a couple of years, and another who just kind of got his first uh, taste of NHL hockey. For sure, yeah. A few quick hits here. So one being Anthony Duclair of the Florida Panthers. So what matters to me, similar to with Eichel, but in Duclair's case, the major injury was this season. So coming back from that Achilles that he injured uh, while training last summer, and it took a while maybe for him to be fully himself. But I thought, especially getting to see him, because obviously he was here for the Leaf series, seeing him up close, he just looked really fast. It looks like he has his legs back, has his speed back. And I think he's gotten more effective as the playoffs have gone. He's looked good on the line with Barkov and Carter Verhaeg. Uh, and I think he's going to be back to 25, maybe 30 goal score next season. I don't know for sure if it's going to be with Florida. You never know. They could trade him. But either way, I think he's going to be someone that gets drafted and you can count on next year. So that's one. Another being Thomas Harley of the Dallas Stars. So he's someone that, of course, has legitimate prospect pedigree. He's a first-round pick. Somewhat late bloomer. He's 21 years old. Had a really good year in the AHL. And in the playoffs, was about half point per game and looked really solid. The role wasn't huge, but I think he really looked like he belonged. And there's room to climb that depth chart, I think. Dallas, especially the deeper part of their blue line, is getting old, especially with Ryan Suter there. So... I think that Harley's role is going to grow next year, and he's going to be a legitimate sleeper in fantasy. Another one, of course, Matthew Nyes with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So the fact that he could jump in and start on the third line, and within a game or two, he's already jumping right up to the first line. That's how highly the team thinks of him. He really did look like he belonged. He was just really strong on pucks. He was creative. And I think because of his two-way ability that he showed, he's going to get the trust of his coach, whether it's Sheldon Keefe or someone else. And I think we're looking at Matthew Nyes in a top six role next season, probably playing with some really good players. And part of that is because the Leafs, we know they're going to lose some bodies as they're trying to figure out their cap situation. I don't think we're going to see Michael Bunting, for example, coming back. Maybe not Alex Kerfoot either. Maybe he'll get moved. Or no, Kerfoot's a UFA. Is he UFA? Yeah, he is. Uh, But I don't think we're seeing Kerfoot come back. And as a result, there's going to be big vacancies on the left side, and Nice has a chance to climb. Who knows? He could be a first-line left winger at the start of next season. One more for you, Stephen. It's Akir Schmidt, the New Jersey Devils, and it's crazy. To start the season, he was the Devils' third stringer, and now coming out of the playoffs, is he the number one? Is he the starter? I think at the very least, he's leapfrogging Mackenzie Blackwood. He stole the job 
from from Vitek Vanacek during the playoffs. And I think we're looking at at least a tandem of those two with Blackwood being being pushed out by next season. So with the Devils really on the rise, I think Schmidt's going to be someone to watch closely in drafts for fantasy next year. To add to that, I still think the Devils have to explore some potential trades or, or even the free agent market to find out some better goaltending there. Um, because the fact that they couldn't seem to pinpoint, like you, you look at Schmid, he should not have been the number one in the playoffs. And then you, he had his bad moments and Vanacek came in. It's like, I think you got to be able to shore that up. Because I said it early on when the Devils were looking as good as they were at the start of the year that Vanacek, while he was saving a few games, his underlying numbers were actually a little concerning to the point where this was not sustainable and probably was not going to be the savior they needed in the playoffs and played his couple first first couple games clearly didn't work out so we'll see there but you know for the devils i, I gotta think they're still gonna look at the goalie market but if Schmid's to get the answer that's one heck of an answer that they got uh, later in the draft a couple of years ago well steven uh let's do a tip of the week and i'm gonna pass the baton to you this time because i think you have a good one to offer our listeners and viewers so what is the tip of the week what do you have so my tip of the week is an interesting one, and it is study up on long-term prospects. Guys like McDavid and, or not, but well, actually, yes, McDavid, but Bedard and and Fantilli, these guys didn't just show up out of nowhere. A lot of footage, a lot of information about these players were known at an early age. And you look at a Fantilli, and um, he's the one that I got to see up close personally, where he was playing, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, watching those years, seeing him play in the GTHL. And I'm not saying go to GTHL games, but I'm saying is the people that are going to these games that are going to see the, these lower levels of hockey are finding these players. And, you know, they're sharing the information, whether it be on Twitter. But for me, I think the best resource for that actually is HF boards. Uh, if you go look in the prospect section, you'll see guys like little profiles, little blurbs on guys, you know, for the 2027, 2028 drafts already. Now it's a little ridiculous. I will admit, but you know, just kind of seeing what other people are saying about these guys is a good way of finding out who these players are. Aaron Kiviaryu was a guy that was on a lot of players radar or a lot of people's radars a couple years ago because he was already playing high level finish hockey at a young age. And that has been able to translate into him being one of the best prospects. And, you know, there are some times where a guy's name will be shown at a very young age and, and doesn't turn out to be anything like Oliver Wallstrom. But if you're looking for, you know, long-term impact in your fantasy hockey pool, being able to know these prospects well in advance before everyone's really kind of hyping them up is a really good start. And, you know, the, we've got stuff on daily Faceoff for 2024, 2025 draft stuff. So we've got some stuff already on who to look for for those years. But when it comes to these long-term options, you know, the information's out there. And if you're willing to look at that, whether that be for, you know, a really deep keeper league, where I know guys that have already started drafting 2025 guys for next season, uh, which is unbelievable. I want to be in one of those pools. It's stuff like that that could really go a long way. So it's that information's out there. Uh, you just got to look for it. Either it be Twitter, HF Forge, asking people that might know. Uh, it's a good chance to kind of get to know the the best talent early. And, you know, it's it's a lot of fun to watch because you don't know what to expect. With Bedard, we knew he was going to be a superstar from a young age. But how is the rest of this, this class going to, to really keep up? I think that was the interesting one. So for me, you know, I just say just do your research. It's a lot of fun. I think that's a really good observation and it, it might sound strange and people think, well, what do you mean? Why is it important to know if someone was good when they were 13 years old? But I think when you're doing big picture talent assessments, it can come in handy. So when people ask me, why are you so sure that Connor Bedard's a generational talent? I say, honestly, we've known about him since he was 12 years old and he's done nothing to dissuade anyone's 
enthusiasm. And to me, that's a sign that he's going to deliver on expectations. When people know about you so far in advance and you have cameras following you, you have everyone obsessing over you and it doesn't mess up your game. You don't crack under pressure. You just get better and better. To me, it's a sign that the person's going to meet the expectations. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a great tip for fantasy players, especially the diehards who want to play in these big long-term dynasty style leagues. Okay, Steven, it's time for our best bet of the week segment presented by ProLine Plus and We've talked about throughout this postseason, the Panthers especially, especially Matthew Kachuk, they've been very vocal about the fact that everyone has doubted them throughout these playoffs. And so what am I going to do with my current bet of the week? I'm going to doubt the Florida Panthers again. But there- A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's a reason for it, Stephen, okay? I'm not just being that ignorant person that's never going to trust Florida, okay? There are certain circumstances that make me skeptical this time around. And... If you look at, one, the fact that, yes, the Florida Panthers are a team of destiny, but so is Vegas. When you get to the Stanley Cup final, the team of destiny factor doesn't really matter anymore, that emotional lift, because both teams have that factor going. But also, look at the schedule. The Florida Panthers eliminated the Carolina Hurricanes on May 24th. The Stanley Cup final is starting June 3rd. That is a 10-day layoff for the Panthers. And this is a team that has fed off momentum throughout this postseason, especially Sergei Bobrovsky. We know that Bobrovsky has been the reason this team is alive. They would have been eliminated by Boston in round one if it weren't for Bobrovsky. You can make a case that they would have lost to the Leafs as well. Maybe even Carolina. Those games, territorially, Florida was not typically on top. And Bobrovsky's game is all about rhythm right now. He's not a consistent goaltender in his career. With a 10-day layoff, are we sure we're going to get the same Bobrovsky we've had throughout these playoffs? Is it possible that other Bobrovsky shows up after a layoff that long? I'm a little bit concerned about that. Whereas Vegas gets just the right amount of time. They get a few days off to heal some bumps and bruises, but I don't think they lose their rhythm, their legs. And I think that's an advantage going into the series. Vegas also has home ice advantage. So I'm surprising myself and I'm picking Vegas plus 171 to win the Stanley Cup. What do you think of that one, my friend? Well... I just want to give a quick shout out to Edward Frazier, uh, who we both know uh, from the from the Hockey News, who actually picked Vegas to win the Stanley Cup. I'm pretty sure, and everyone laughed at him. I remember there was a whole thread online, people saying this guy's an idiot. Um, he's looking really smart right now, um, but I I really can't bet against the Florida Panthers. I've been burned way too many times here now at this point, uh, literally three rounds in a row. So I'm you know I'm not I'm not falling for this. I'm going Florida this time. <laughs> 
For, for me, it's fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times. I'm, I'm trip, I'm quadrupling down now on doubting the Florida Panthers. I'll never learn. Maybe it's because they burned me last year when they're my my Stanley Cup pick. I don't know. Well, a word from our sponsor, Stephen Proline Plus is not just another sports book. Being the only sports book that gives a hundred percent of the profits back to Ontario, Proline has been your local trusted sports book for over thirty years. Now offering Ontario sports fans more ways to play in store, online, or take the game on the go with the Proline app. With your favorite sports and events right at your fingertips, download the Proline app and bet in app with Proline Plus today, or head over to ProlinePlus.ca to learn more. Well, Stephen, let's talk a little prospects. I know you have some names on the mind right now, and this is a player that's really starting to intrigue me. It feels like he's been climbing up draft boards all season long. I know he's now in your top five on your draft rankings that you have up on dailyfaceoff.com right now, the newest update. So tell me why you have Will Smith on the brain. Well, Will Smith's a guy that, you know, if you're looking for someone who might be ready for you sooner rather than later, Will Smith is an option. Uh, So he is going to Boston College next year, uh, and that is kind of what everyone is expecting to just be a one and done, see what they could do. Boston College is going to have a very stacked team. It's going to be actually him, Gabe Perot, Ryan Leonard. That same line is coming back. And they are, they've got a couple other guys that are going to be there from the U.S. Uh, National Development Team. So there's that. And they've got one of the best goalie uh, prospects for the NHL draft in Jacob Fowler. So I'm really liking what they're going to be able to do next year. When it comes to what he did this season, though, uh, with the U.S. National Development Team, he went out there, he had 127 points in 60 games is one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen the second best season actually of any player from that group he was the mvp at the world under 18s he just kind of just did everything and you know there are people who will make i, I saw some discourse in, online the last couple of days about smith not being a top five quality prospect and people only care about him because his name is funny it's not that funny of a name um but be, because he's a guy that you know played on, on one of the best lines you've ever seen at the u.s national development program but it's like he was the play driver there he was a setup guy he he scored 51 goals this year he was the mvp of the the top prospects game that they did in the, in michigan it's like this guy has just done so much to prove that he's a top five quality prospect and you know a guy that's that well-rounded who can can play a great two-way game who could score a lot who can set up anybody who's creative guys like that will continue to get good opportunities in the nhl so i expect him to be probably a number one center in the nhl uh, a guy who can also play in the power play uh do all things like that you know for me you got to be keeping an eye on will smith whoever picks him whether it's a number four number five number six in the nhl draft you're getting a guy that will be such a vital part of your team moving forward so i like will smith it's funny like this draft class just seems to be getting better and better on paper mm-hmm. to me and i'm wondering like your ass Slavkovsky was number one last year where would he go this year would he be like the sixth pick are there so, five guys that would have gone number one last year so put it this way whenever he and Dvorsky played together Dalbert Dvorsky um Dvorsky was the better player and but when it comes to Slavkovsky it was like again that the 2022 draft looked really strong and i think they got really impacted by that covid year like the battle of potentially it was going to be Shane Wright, Matt Savoy and Brad Lambert was the three headed monster like a year or two before that draft. And we saw kind of how that all fizzled apart. Um, But for me, it's, you know, the, 
this year with these guys, like, you know, they got impacted by COVID, but they've had a bit more development time since then, which has really helped. And, you know, I think that's just, we're seeing just such a good draft class and Slavkovsky probably, I don't know, might, might be number four or five. If it was this year, great prospect, great player, you know, well-deserved number one, but uh, just, you look at the talent this year and it's just, there's a ton of first overall quality prospects. All righty. Well, uh, let's move on now to a couple questions, Stephen. I think we have one from like a, a literal guest on the show, but what do we have? Yes, from Nick Alberga. Uh, and he asks, uh, Huberto, Huberto bounce back season. Easy enough for me to say. Yes, and I, I think Jonathan Huberto has been someone we've talked a lot about on the show this season because he's been such a confounding player. But I do think in this case, it's fair to blame the situation. I'm not saying that he's going to be a 115-point player again. That's probably going to go down as his career year. It would be a career year for almost anyone who isn't a legend of the game. But dropping from 115 to 55 points and I do think it really was the product of coaching. I know he was not happy about being played on his off wing, his right wing. He's a left winger. Daryl Sutter puts him on the right wing for, I believe it was 50 games. And I know for a fact that Uberdo was not comfortable with that. Uh, and it made for a really difficult year for him. So I think just by virtue of having a different coach, we're going to see a major bounce back from him. doesn't mean he's going to be an elite player again, but I, I think we can get back at least a point per game, Jonathan Uberdo. How about 80 points, 85 points? So to me, he's actually going to be a pretty interesting buy low target. Uh, I'm going to be, be watching the ADP data to see where he's going on average in drafts. And will he be drafted outside the top 50? If so, I think he's going to be a steal. Yeah, it's funny because we were talking about him being a bust like literally in the last couple of weeks, but he might be the best steal for next year's like fantasy draft. It's kind of just a weird situation. But, you know, we've seen enough of Huberto. No, that was just one off year. We expect him to come back and new coach might change things. So we'll see kind of how that works for Calgary. But I, I'm not, I'm not, Huberto had a bad year. I'm not expecting that to happen again. Uh, this one comes from Tom Harley, who asks, after watching JJ Paterka during the Worlds and everything he did to help Germany go far, what's his potential in the NHL? He had a good rookie season, but what's next for him? Do you want me to answer that one? I think, yeah. I think you're more of a Paterka uh, authority. I have some thoughts, but I think you'll have more. So you go first. So Paterka is a guy that I've been really kind of following since I saw him for the first time in 2017. And that was back when he was playing the German U16 team. And we saw him just absolutely annihilate everybody. Uh, just, just such a talented player. Uh, he was playing a lot against all the competition. And then, you know, that last year he goes and puts up nearly a point per game as a rookie with the Rochester Americans in the NHL. That, that's not easy to do. That's very impressive. Then he goes this year, he plus 32 points uh, in the his first full season in the NHL. Again, very impressive. Goes out there and he was one of the best players at the World Championship with 12 points in 10 games. And whether you like that tournament or not, I think that the thing you got to point out is a guy like that being such an important piece of a team like Germany that just moved up the most spots of anybody inside the top 10 uh, in the WHF rankings. That's huge. You know, he w they needed somebody to be the difference maker. You know, they didn't have Tim Stutzla. Uh, they didn't have Lucas Reichel. Like they weren't at their full strength. And Paterka went there. He said he wanted to be there. And it started off with a great play uh, in the in the pre-tournament game where he made a great pass from his knees. And then it turned out to be just a guy who was consistent every single game. I was doing game, like star of the night, every or like best players of every game, um, every single day of the tournament. And Paterka was in there almost every single time Germany played. And there was a reason they played for gold and ended up winning silver. But 
just the way he plays, the way he commands things is incredible. And for someone that is a second round pick, he was drafted 34 overall in 2020, a draft that, you know, has had some mixed results. But for what he was capable or like where he was drafted, I think he's just exceeding all expectations. This is a guy that I expect to hit 50 points next year. You know, the Buffalo Sabres are on the up. I do expect to see some good improvement from these guys. And I, I do think that he's a top six player. And uh, I think this is someone who maybe 50 to 60 points is what you're getting. But, you know, if he's not on your top line and he's getting 50, 60 points, that's still a lot of value, especially for a guy that, again, fell to the second round. I think a lot of people were surprised about that at that time, too. Like, this is not a like a looking back thing. I think there were a lot of people who were like, wow, that's surprising he fell that far. But the way he's been able to play with Germany, with Rochester, with Buffalo has, you know, he scored everywhere he's gone. And, you know, guys like that, you you got to bet on them. So I do think that Paterka is going to be a very valuable player for the Buffalo Sabres. And I'm very excited for that team's future. Yeah, I am too. And even seeing what Jack Quinn did, sort of finding his feet in the NHL this season too. And even if Peyton Krebs starts to turn on, of course, you have Matt Savoy coming too. There's so much potential. And you already have the guys who are breaking out there like Tage Thompson. So to me, with Paterka, he's a top six talent will he be a top six player next year is, is a different question so yes he did finish the season i believe he was on the second line to end the year in buffalo but we know that buffalo is entering its contention window and that's a team that's looking for veteran forwards so i'm very curious to see whether you have the sabers bring in for example a patrick kane do they sign a vladimir Ter- cycle someone like that veteran presence a stanley cup winner to their forward group and if that happens you could have situations similar to what we see with new york rangers where you have your young guys pushed down into the bottom six so kind of like the kid line with the rangers so paterka talent wise i think yes he's worthy of a top six role but we don't know 100 percent that he's going to be in one because if buffalo signs a right winger for example well alex tuck is the first line right winger Patrick Kane could be your second line right winger and Paterka, then he'd be your third liner. So got to watch carefully what Kevin Adams does. I think Buffalo is going to be pretty active this offseason. I think it's time for them to get aggressive. And to add to that, it looks like they, according to Cap Friendly, they have $16 million in current cap space. And the, they have got two RFAs and Tyson Yosin and Kale Clegg. Those guys are replaceable. And then Zemgis Gergensens, who I don't expect them to ever let him go. And Vinny Hinnestronza. So those guys are all depth guys. So it's not like they're having to sign, uh, you know, Tate Thompson or Dylan Cousins to deals. They got that done. And, and not to mention that their top, their highest paid goalie is Eric Comrie at 1.8 million with two of the best young goalies in the game right now as other options. So this team's got a lot of flexibility to go out there and add some quality players, like you said there. So that could push them down. But when I'm thinking long-term, I think this is a guy who should hit 50, 60 points a year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. That division is... Oh, yeah. What do you do about the Atlantic? Like the Leafs and Lightning and Panthers and Bruins fashion themselves contenders, but Buffalo's coming. Ottawa's coming. Montreal. Montreal. Like, the division is just just silly right now. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's it for the questions. So I guess we're going to do some starting line of time. And, you know, you're a big TV guy. There's been a few TV shows that have recently had some interesting endings. So name your favorite TV show series finale episodes. Yes, I'm doing this one in honor of Succession ending this past weekend, Barry ending, and also Ted Lasso ending. So there are a lot of kind of iconic TV shows ending in the prestige era this week. So I thought it was a perfect time to do my top six series finales. Uh, We'll start at the bottom. Okay, so The Sopranos. I'm not going to 
overthink it and say it's the greatest series finale, but I think it was maligned because people just were so shocked at the abrupt ending, but there were hints dropped throughout the season that it was coming. I do think there's a legitimate meaning in the sudden fade to black. All the clues are there throughout the season. I thought it was a cool ending. And the fact that we still talk about it years later, to me, shows how effective it was. So I am pro Sopranos ending and parallel parking of a car has never been as suspenseful as it was when Meadow was struggling to get that thing ready so she could come in and have dinner. Everyone's heart was pounding the first time they saw that episode. Next up, I'm going to go a little bit off the board, Star Wars, Clone Wars. They did something really cool. There was a long break before they did their final season. They really upped the budget. The animation quality was movie caliber. It was so good. In those that final block of episodes, you had an epic Fight. One of the greatest lightsaber duels ever in the Star Wars saga between Ahsoka Tano and Darth Maul. And the way they transitioned the end of that story made it go concurrently with the events of Revenge of the Sith and the disappearance or the, the heel turn, I should say, of Anakin was so well done. It was one of the best executed, I think, pieces of content in the Star Wars universe. Number four on the list, Breaking Bad. Some people thought the ending was a little bit cheesy. I think it was really cool. And also the gun that Walt built in his truck, in his trunk, that automated gun. People hated that. It was done on an episode of Mythbusters. It, this, it, in terms of the physical logistics, it was legitimate. It was actually doable. Wow. So I thought that really validated the episode for me in terms of the contraption that Walt built. I thought that all the loose ends were tied up. I thought it was more of a crowd pleaser ending. You don't get that from every prestige TV show. And the big rescue of Jesse taking down uh, Uncle Jack and Todd. And I, I just thought it was an exciting way to end one of the all-time great shows. Uh, I'm putting Succession in the top three. Recency bias, I thought it was an amazing finale. I thought it was an honest finale. It didn't try to sell out and go for a perfectly happy ending. I think it understood its character so well, and it had them behave in a way that was consistent with the way they behave right from the start of the show. I don't want to give away too much because it's still just freshly ended, and maybe people who are listening this to the show might not have watched the final episode yet. So I'm going to leave it at that but I think it was an elite finale and who knows, maybe over time I'll rank it even higher than in my top three. Number two, The Americans, a show that sort of flew under the radar. I don't know a ton of fans of that show out there, but I think those who watched it really loved it. And it had one of the all-time dagger episodes uh, or dagger moments, I should say, in its finale when the daughter Paige jumps off that train and they're playing With or Without You by U2. It was uh, quite the heartbreaking moment, but also sort of bittersweet. I thought it was a, an amazing uh, ending for that show as well. Number one, Better Call Saul, a show that just like Breaking Bad, it knew when to quit. It didn't stay on too long. I think it's not like one of those shows that dragged out for 10 or 8, 10, 13 seasons. And I thought it was wrapped up in a way that was extremely satisfying. And you had sort of that nice moment from Saul himself when you think he's going to screw over Kim, but then he makes that turn in the courtroom and rescues her. Uh, and I think it was sort of a great redemption for the character. So I thought that was a super satisfying finale to a show that maybe was actually better than Breaking Bad. I think it was better in terms of character development and nuance. Maybe Breaking Bad had the bigger thrills, but I'd say Better Call Saul was an easier watch. It was less intense uh, every step of the way. And I think maybe a more nuanced show. So those are my top six series finales. End of starting lineup. I like that. I like that. So I, I don't watch a ton of shows. I've mentioned that before. Uh, but I'll give one that was one of the worst uh, because I finished it not too long ago. And one of the worst endings was Ozark. Uh, that ending was so dumb. Like I, <laughs> like that. Like I, I felt like I watched that show for for all the seasons just to be like, what the heck was that? It was such a waste, uh, total waste. And then this was more of a super deep cut. 
um, but Acceleracers. And uh, there's probably like maybe one person listening to this that's ever heard of it, but it's like a, it was a Hot Wheels show that I watched uh, back when I was a kid. But it was like more of a darker theme. Like there was like death and people getting their bodies ripped apart to turn into robots. Like it was it was pretty dark for what it was. And it ended on the biggest cliffhanger that still gets debated to this day. And the show ended in 2005. So there's that. Uh, and uh, there was, I guess that's really about it. So uh, yeah, I guess that's the episode. Yeah, I think you're right about Ozark. It's hard. Ozark's ending, ending was really cynical. So I understood what they were going for, but it was quite jarring. And I thought it was just cruel to the character of Ruth, where they just kind of did her dirty. She was such an important character and they kind of, had a secondary late introduced character kill her off unceremoniously. It was kind of, I don't know. I, I think they did her dirty. A couple other terrible finales. Game of Thrones. It's uh, Game of Thrones was so untrue to its characters, the way it, it, it rushed the heel turn of, of Daenerys that it, it hurt the show's legacy. That was a cultural phenomenon and people just have a bad taste in their mouth still just the way that show ended and giving the power to Bran. Come on, Bran sucks. Uh, and also Dexter. Uh, Dexter's finale was so bad that they tried to re-Dexter it like they did another series just to try <laughs> and wallpaper over it. Like, Jesus, Dexter. Kill your sister and become a lumberjack? God, man, that was terrible. Anyways, uh, that's it for this week's episode. We have more to come. We're going into off-season mode soon. We'll be talking about the draft and previewing the off-season in weeks to come. So keep listening. We'll keep providing a fantasy spin on what's going to be a crazy month in the NHL. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.